listening to Grace Geltman and Weld on The Hammer Factor. Take it away, boys. This episode of The Hammer Factor is brought to you by Extreme Sport Veco. Go to Extreme Sport Veco forward slash Hammer Factor to get all the beta on a kayaking trip to Norway and to this incredible event. June 23rd through June 30th in Voss, Norway. On the water, they have kayaking, rafting, they have a cliff diving competition. In the air, they have paragliding, base jumping, skydiving. On the earth, they have mountain biking, bouldering, longboarding, you name it. This is the biggest extreme sports festival in the world. If you're ever interested in going to this event or Norway in general, Go to extremesportveco.com forward slash hammer factor and check it out. Okay, here we go. Part two. That's awesome. Fascinating, huh? Yeah. What am I doing in my life, man? Right? What's wrong with you? <laughs> well, we've got a lot of stuff to get into here. We've got a lot of listener mail. We've got. I'm spelling a two part show. We can knock out two shows here at once. <laughs> We've got some boat designs and reviews. We've got the high and dry to talk about. The big um, news of the high and dry. The high and dry. We got a lot of a lot of emails, <laughs> a lot of comments on the high and dry. I feel like there are like these things that like I can tell must have taken off on social media somewhere and I've just totally missed it. And like all of a sudden we get like like seven emails about something like <laughs> high and dry and you're just like imagining that there must be some on Facebook or YouTube or something or Boater Talk or whatever. Well, let's 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 just put that aside <laughs> for a moment. Back to that. Okay, can we talk about Tom McEwen? Yeah, lead us off. And this this is a great segue from Rocky Contos to Tom McEwen. McEwen, how does does McEwen need an introduction? I think people he, need to know who does, he is because it's like I mean for. There's a certain percentage of people for whom Tom McEwen, like everybody who's actually met Tom McEwen in the flesh, he's become this, I don't know, for a lot of us, this like prophet figure in our lives. And then the people who don't know Tom McEwen just don't know Tom McEwen. Like, right. he's not like, if you don't know him actually person to person, you don't know him. Right. I mean, Tom McEwen, meeting Tom McEwen's like meeting Magellan in person right <laughs> i mean it's like meeting the legend one of the 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 most important people in our sport would you say he's right up there he's right up there i mean there's no doubt about it i mean can, can, anyway can i post McEwen? this picture yeah okay actually i don't know i shouldn't say well i mean it came from steve mcconaughey i guess where this subject comes from and yeah. well you can McEw- talk McEw- McEwen's an east coast paddler he is uh 73 He's the guy who taught me how to kayak. He taught Geltman how to kayak. He's taught countless lifelong paddlers to boat. Uh, there are generations, literally generations of kayakers learned under his tutelage. At the same time, he is probably one of the most influential and accomplished whitewater paddlers in our sport, right? Easily. He ran, he ran Silencio, which is a waterfall on the uh, Tomata or the – what do they call it? Alcateca. Alcateca, yeah. Uh, he, he ran Silencio at 73. 73 years old, this guy fired off Silencio, which, how high is that? 50 feet? I'd say it's probably 40, but it's got a burly entrance, some cave out walls at the bottom. It's not a gimme. 
No, <laughs> by it's any not a means. gimmick. Right? Yeah, I'll post 73 years old. I'll post this picture in the show notes. You wouldn't believe it, but I mean, such an inspiration to anybody who ever looks at their birthday and just can't believe or like wants to make excuses about why you're not doing something you're too old. Tom McEwen yeah. just shut you down. And I want you to think about someone you know who's 73 and think about them running a 40-plus foot Class 5 waterfall. And sticking it. And sticking it. Yeah. I mean, it's super inspirational. Hats off to uh, Steve-O for sending that to yeah. us. I mean, I don't – we've got to get Tom on. For some reason, yes. you're a little nervous about this weld. I'm not sure why, but I really want to get him on. Tom, I'm going to do it. With Tom – it's just going to be hard to do him justice. It's like it's going to be a, he's, a he's, tricky he's, interview. And he's under he's 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 not one to talk about himself. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm not sure if through design or just we would run we do we'd run a river that he he would have run a horrendous class five rapid that everyone carried and maybe swam or he nailed it or whatever. And we get done with the river and we'd be like Tom, that was awesome what you did. And he'd be like yeah. Yeah, it's awesome, and you could tell he had no idea what we we're talking about. <laughs> like, he was like that class five where you stuck that boo for the twenty. He's like, yeah, uh huh, no clue. <laughs> I guess I'm so fascinated because I've only met Tom one time, and yeah. I just want to dig a little deeper. I want to hear all your guys' story, even if he's just sitting on the line silent. I just want to hear you guys talk about him. You guys will be so jacked up, your adrenaline will be going. Remembering like the 60 or 70 most insane things I've ever done in my life where Tom was a part of <laughs> and reminding him what happened and him kind of nodding his head like, yeah, that seems like it could have happened. <laughs> uh, anyway, I love this picture. So sick seeing, seeing, seeing him. I know that waterfall well. Um. John, you have a little note here you want to talk about with your avalanche class and whitewater rescue. I, I, where's this going? I gotta throw this out. Yeah, I gotta throw this hey, out. Hey, so do you got any touring gear yet? Before we do this, I did. I got the whole set. Yeah. Uh, yes. Oh, and I went out again. Anyway, um, yeah. So I took an avalanche class, which is what you do out here when you do backcountry skiing, right? And so, avalanche class for those East Coasters who've never heard of such a thing. You go, you go to these three-day classes, and they're extremely well-structured, right? This is like an avalanche – what's the word I'm looking for? Organization, that, like a nonprofit that put, does all this research on what rescue techniques work and what rescue techniques don't work. And they have a really exacting uh, curriculum for teaching people how to deal with avalanche dangers when you're skiing and so you to, if you're gonna go back country skiing you got to take this class and learn how to use a beacon and a shovel and all this stuff and so like my first day in the class i right away i was like why can't whitewater get their shit together to have a curriculum like this well my my, my view evolved i see lewis give me a face i'm like because look at this there's like millions of dollars being spent on this research and this is you know, a very well thought out program I'm, I'm listening to, right? I'm like, why can't Whitewater get their act together and deal with rescue, Whitewater rescue in the same way? Um, and then by day two, I was starting to realize that the, there's very little parallels because, you know, avalanche is sort of a, it, it happens and then it's done. And you go in and you can rescue people. But in Whitewater, usually it's you watching some guy getting worked in a hole just standing there waiting to see what happens. 
And what I mean, the variables in that situation are very different than an avalanche, right? There's no, there's no terminating of that event. It just keeps going. Um, and then by the end of the class, I was starting to realize that even the even the well-regimented avalanche class, I was starting to think that there was no answers anyway, because <laughs> everyone who went to the class was wanting to wanting to know when there was going to be an avalanche. And so someone would raise their hand and be like, so you're saying when it rains, there's going to be an avalanche. And the instructor would be like, well, maybe. And then someone would be like, okay, so you're saying when it rains and then it freezes, there's going to be an avalanche. They're like, nah, could be. <laughs> but there's no pinpointing when this would actually happen. I mean, at the end of the day, it was still you going out and taking a risk going skiing that day. And you could maybe avoid some really stupid mistakes, but pinpointing the, the, the exact problem. But I don't know. That was my take on it. I wanted to open this up for a larger discussion. Huh. Yeah, I mean, it's almost more like like you're trying to like learn to read water or something in like a classroom setting. I mean, it's like a, to me all the all the snow science stuff and all the you know the terrain factors and like all the things you're learning in that class. It's like it's like you're saying you're just learning factors that go into this more complex, you know, really complex environment. And it's like, I mean. I don't know. I, I guess I've never taken a swift water rescue class, so it's hard for me to compare. I guess in my imagination, it's sort of similar, but I don't know. I mean, you know, the statistics are that you're more likely to die in an avalanche if you've taken an avalanche class. Well, it's because you're going out. Yeah. No. I mean, fair enough. That's, I mean, I that's, think that's not a good statistic. Well, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. I think there might be some controlling for that, but I mean, part of it is that you're you think you know more than you do, and then you're going out and taking risks. But I mean, not to say that you, you shouldn't take an avalanche course, which you obviously everybody should. Right. But, I mean, I, is there a better is there a better rescue technique than grab that bitch in paddle sports? No. Absolutely. That's plan A. That's always plan A, right? Absolutely right? not. Absolutely not. I mean, that. Yeah. I think the important thing with swift water and like an avi class is practice. You know, so I mean it's just super good to practice using your beacon. You know, it's super good to practice moving around on water and throwing your rope and just like just those elements. And I think a class is great. There's a lot of knowledge, but I think you got to I don't know, I think you got to practice. I mean, you like practice and you got to think, you know, it's like there is no formulaic answer to like when there's going to be a slide. There is no formulaic answer to like how you deal with a rescue situation in kayaking. It's like you got to just get experience say, as safely as you can and then keep your head on a swivel, you know. Have you done much big mountain backcountry yet? Well, have you gone up there for the yet? first time last weekend? It, isn't it kind of like it's set up? Isn't it kind of spooky up there, just knowing how deep the snow is underneath you, and just thinking about it? Just moving? we were in ten feet of snow, and there's been two people dying in tree wells this past weekend alone on Mount Hood. One of them was a ski guy at a Timberline on Mount Hood, so not just some some piker out there getting in, you know, in over his head. Um, but it was much more like it felt much more like whitewater kayaking yeah. than any other sport that I've done. Yeah, it's so pretty... it was like because we we're we we're at the top of hills, definitely, and we're all paddlers. We were all paddlers out there as Fuseli and John Regan and this guy named Topher and myself. Um, but it felt just like whitewater kayaking. Yeah, that's so. Cool. Yeah, it was awesome. It was great. Yeah, I don't know. My takeaway would be that. I mean, have you did? I mean, if if we went out and we were cruising around and I just 
kind of threw my pack out into the woods and you didn't know it was out there and I was we just did a little avalanche drill I mean do you think you could find it in one minute two minutes you know like you can the more you practice you can narrow that that stuff in really good you know there's little things you yeah. can do yeah the technology is pretty good yeah yeah I don't know uh, moving on to the Alex Jones uh, segment of the show here that's right info wars so, well, tell me about this conspiracy theory you have. You believe, you believe. I don't believe, but I saw that. This I know we only do a show, you know, twice a year now, so it's hard to stay current. But <laughs> a, a, a bit ago, there was a viral video of Eric Jackson in his his camper trailer or his RV with allegedly his dog putting the, the rig into reverse and backing it into the water. Right? Did you see the skeleton? I did. Yeah. So. I, my first my first instinct was that Jackson staged this. First of all, there's two cameras on the on the on his trailer or his RV while this is happening, right? Just a two camera accidental capture. And also, what a perfect piece of publicity, right? If Jackson's <laughs> written in gigantic letters across the vehicle. It goes viral immediately. I saw it on the I saw it like on a, on a national news station, like at the end of the news program. Oh yeah, it's like a right? 10, 10 million view video, you know. Right. Any anybody? Hello. What do you think, Lewis? That had not occurred to me. If it, <laughs> yeah. hey, if if he did it, I, first of all, if he did it, that is quite the gamble to throw your RV in the. <laughs> In the in the in the river and have it floating around because you have no idea if you're going to get it back if it's like how that's going to shake up, but you know, he had someone driving it. He had RV someone like drive it. Destroyed, right? I don't think so. I think it was back like ten feet into the water and they yeah. drove it back out again. And the earth is flat. I don't know. <laughs> All right, listen, I'm just throwing it out there. I don't know if so. I mean, we'll have to, you know, Alex Jones. We'll have to get EJ on the on the line here and see. I'm just asking questions. <laughs> That's all I'm doing, just asking questions. <clears throat> oh man, moving on. I don't know. Well, mate, you could be right. You could be right. I'm gonna think about it. I'll definitely think about it. I mean, it could be. I mean, that is a EJ is known for how many decades of being the master of the PR stunt. That's right. He's P.T. Barnum. He is the P.T. Barnum <laughs> of whitewater kayaking. There is no doubt about it. Right. <laughs> anyway. That's I'm, a... not, I'm not saying it in a negative way. EJ, if you're listening, or Dane, or I'm not, listen, I'm not bad. I'm not trash talking your old man. No, I mean, you know. Right? I mean, you, you want to get, get 10 million views of, a, of your Jackson logo? Boom. Done. You, you heard it first here on the Hammer Factor. All right. This comes out from Robert Taylor. This is a, This is a pretty good one talking about guys like Tom McEwen and whatnot. When I was coming up in the early 90s, all the best classified paddlers had a common thread. They didn't brag, take pictures, or try to sell their accomplishments. Nobody talked about boating until they were boating. Your strokes told your story amongst your peers. That was the warrior co code. Humble, quiet about your success in an environment that deserve respect. This whole scene now has destroyed the most beautiful part. The best paddlers in the world are hustling home to post pics and tell stories to facilitate the stoke. It's like watching Johnny Cash sell Viagra on TV. What happened? I think he's really speaking to Geltman here. Yeah, I think, I, I think I'll pass this to you, Lewis. I mean, those guys are still out there, man. We just you talked know. to one. Yeah. Yeah. Team okay. Beer. 
Everybody in Idaho. <laughs> right, the Hermit Kingdom. Those guys are still out there. Don't uh, don't despair too much. But I mean, I think what happened is social media happened, and the possibility of of generating enough income to keep living the dream happened, which is an understandable uh, temptation for people, right? And then I think there's a lot of young guys who, you know, either aspire to that or just kind of model that behavior thoughtlessly. And it's sort of generational, you know, I mean, it's just, just new generation. They, uh, how should I say it? The, uh, the governor has been pulled off of that. Cause I know, you know, for the period of time when I was pushing hard and documenting things, there was always kind of a little feeling of, I don't know. It just, it was always in the back of your head, you know, how do we talk about this? How much do we talk about it? You know, it was, it was, there was always, but I think that government governor's gone now. I think it's, I think it's throw it out there and spew. That's like the, it's kind of a race to the bottom. Anyway, <laughs> moving on, Daniel Gertie. Daniel Gertie comes in. This is about clubs. I mentioned that I thought clubs were good to the sport. Um, Daniel has a paragraph here. I won't read the whole thing, but he says, On any given day, the biggest kooks on the river are club boaters. If there's a person leading a parade of full-face cage helmets down the skirt lines with fingerless gloves hiding their white-knuckle grip, they're a club boater. Dude, the Long Creek gangsters are turning it around, man. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, there are some elements of truth to this, but at the same time, you know, that group of people is so important to paddling. I mean... Seriously. I mean, they're my peeps. Yeah. Right? Um, There is some elements of truth there, but... Listen, if, if 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 you're willing to go out and run you know, the lower yacht for the first time and you're terrified, but you're doing it anyway, you know, uh, and you're cold and you're scared and getting ready to run dimple man, you're, you're in, right? Come yeah, on. Totally. And like, right? plus knowing that you're like, knowing that you're profoundly uncool, right? It's like, those guys know that, like they know they're yeah. like old <laughs> learning and like, it's like they're doing it anyway. That's awesome. It's- yeah, they're on the side of the river. They're eating a peanut butter and jelly and some gorp. They're freezing their ass off. <laughs> you know, it's awesome. Yeah. That's what it's yeah. all about. And they're doing Great. it every weekend. Right. You know, and they're not just like blowing up and fizzling out. They're doing it for for years. Some of the guys that in the original kayaking club, the Ohio Valley Whitewater Club that I started in, they're still going out 20 weekends a year. Do you remember that Nike commercial like two years ago? And it was just like people like it it ended with that kid that like that six year old or whatever jumping off that high dive. It was just like a minor victory. Yeah. yeah, Right. Yeah. That that's the same. It's the same thing. Right. It's all a matter of perspective. Right. All those people felt that no matter how big or small the task, they were all feeling the same emotion. Yeah. Well, and, and kayaking definitely presents its own unique challenges that the vast majority of Americans simply do not want to consider as even a possibility. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, I hear yeah, what I, I hear. Think, I, hear I think it's cool, man. I hear what Daniel's saying there, but I kind of am going to stick by my guns on that one. I think. Close yeah. Is a good thing. I think Hammer Factors weighed in on that one pretty hard. Um, here's a really good one. I'll throw this over to Lewis. Uh, greetings from Jackson, Wyoming. Thanks for the podcast. Longtime paddling friend just introduced me to it. And it's helping to keep the stoke alive for paddling season in cold Wyoming. He said backcountry skiing is a very acceptable alternative as well. 
Indeed. Um, quick hits. What are the predictable thoughts? This is the one I want to cover, most importantly. What are the predictable thoughts on the attached picture? Attached picture? Indoor sup racing in Canada. A new low in paddle sports? I mean, this isn't even paddle sports. It's <laughs> gone beyond... My favorite part of this is like he's got this screenshot of it from the Werner Paddles uh, Facebook page, and there's seven people viewing it. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and let that speak for itself with this one. Um, <laughs> anyway, there's some other great points here with Daniel, but we are way over time. And, uh, man. We got a shark versus bear stickered uh, spotted in Colorado. This is really good. I'll post that in the show notes. That's actually one of my favorite. Is that a pretty cool little sticker? I'm synced. I think you're right. I think you said this before the show started. That's a good like full back tattoo for Graham. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thanks for those uh, listener mails. We have a lot more we're going to get into, but let's get into the high and the dry. Okay, are you guys both aware of what the high and the dry is? How could we not be aware of this at this point? Okay. This, this idea was shot out of a cannon at us from about 60 different directions. Yeah, we, have, we had many, <laughs> many pieces. So if you don't know what the high and dry is, essentially it is a big... F- high in dry. And dry. <laughs> yeah, high dash in dry. Anyway, it's essentially a big floaty looking miniature like punching a, bag that like straps right over your paddle wouldn't you say it's like a it's like a pool noodle that's going over like the center of your paddle to help you with your shaky roll yeah but it's super right. it's super fat yeah the diameter is like 12 inches yeah you know so don't it's, think this is like a two inch diameter tube it's yeah. huge like, like enough that would be obscuring your vision i would think it would be good for someone with like a zero degree 191 because they could never get a vertical <laughs> stroke and you'd never have to worry about that thing getting in your way. You know, uh, that's it's... Careful. I don't want to go back into this. <laughs> anyway, anyway, you're right. You're right. Maybe I'll edit that out. Anyway, there's this video and I'll include it in the show notes. We've got several emails. Uh, one comes from Joe, Ronan, Jet. We got everybody is sending this in. It's all the same commentary. What the hell is going on with this thing? Did you guys watch the video? Yes. Okay. I'm going to describe the video real quick before we, I, 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 you guys talk about, you know, I want to hear, before we hear your opinions. Anyway, video starts. Dude with big punching bag on his paddle right in front of his face starts going down. He's, He's in some super round Jackson boat, starts going down the Cascades. So if you've been to the Cascades, it's decent. It's hard whitewater. You know, there's some holes to miss. You know, it's like real whitewater. You got to really know how to do it. There's some bad spots in there. The rapid below there, there's some pinning potential. Anyway, this homeboy takes off. I don't have his name. I don't want to mention his name. But anyway, takes off down this rapid and has one of the most supreme beatering. Runs things backwards, runs things sideways, gets surfed in holes, pins momentarily. It would be, it would be, it would be identical if it was just a mannequin in that boat. Yes. Down the <laughs> That's there a... would be no difference in line. <laughs> that, that, that is a very good way to put it. So speaking of, of conspiracy theories, I looked at this and I was like, this cannot possibly be real. It's like, like the commentary is like, 
like the video commentary is ridiculous and then he's like there's something in there about like wanting to pick a sick song and the song that he's picked is sale yeah <laughs> like, you're like like this is there's no way this can possibly be real but it was real i think that was like like one of the long creek gangsters guests <laughs> dressed up and <laughs> Who knows? But you got to check this video out. So let's just let's just let's just narrow it down. What do you guys think about the high and dry concept? Oh come on! <laughs> you need to learn to roll with a paddle, or pick another sport. And you need to not be on that kind of white water. You know what I mean? If you're like going down your first class one river and you want to have your high and dry to help you practice, maybe there's room for it. But you don't need to be going out to a place where you can potentially pin and cause people to have to jump in the river and grab your bitch ass. If you're that paralyzed with fear about kayaking that you need to use the high and dry, you you need to move on. (laughs) There's other sports for you to try. Right? Lewis? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. This this is beneath us. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we've got we got your your messages about the high and dry. I think our sentiment is the same as yours. I hope that guy, whichever one of the gangsters did that, <laughs> feels bad about himself. <laughs> That's one of the Long Creek quote unquote gangsters. <laughs> It's not like honor roll students at the Catholic school to me, but oh. that's one of the Long, Street, Long Creek gangsters, and they, they pull, that that is a really great hoax. <laughs> Truly, I'm gonna go ahead and get off. We got to get that guy on the show. You know, when we end up, maybe I'll try and find him right now, and you guys take over some of these reviews, and we'll bring him on. No, we can't have that guy on because it's the same thing as the. It's like with the club boaters. It's like we're we're here to make fun of the Ryan Zinkies and the professional kayakers and the people who have <laughs> more power and more uh, are are cooler than we are. We're not here to make fun of tool bags. <laughs> tool bags make fun of themselves. You know, not to switch <laughs> gears here, but you know we we got in there. We fixed LWCF. We got it passed. We got Zinky out of there. I think our next mission is the Mark Meadows project. So we need a t-shirt. We need some, we need to come up with that. We need some kind of something He's for that guy. Factor whipping boy. Exactly. Dude. That guy has got to go. Um, you think you, I mean, you're, you're suggesting that the Zinky subs t-shirt was instrumental in his ousting. Clearly. Okay. I mean, had a, <laughs> I mean, dude, something like that comes out of the universe. There's going to be guys, like an equal and opposite force. Did you guys see? I, I I can't go too far down this road, but did you guys see that uh, there was like a, a, a news story? There was in a bunch of news outlets like a couple of weeks ago about there was a, a list of maybe eight guys at Department of Interior who were under various ethics investigations. And I'd, I'd met with three of the eight people on the list, like several of them in just like all time hilarious interviews with or uh, meetings with. Yeah, it, I, I I can't even go too far down this road, but it surprised me, like not in the least. <laughs> and I went back and had some inter- some meetings with uh, with DOI and with um, the Council on Environmental Quality this week and like everything that you imagine about what's going on in those agencies under Trump is, is it's like that everything you imagine. 
it's just oozing with slime. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to get into into too much of that here. We need to stick with one target, and his name is Mark Meadows. Um. <laughs> Um, Chris Danielson wants a Steez review. Has anybody paddled the Steez? I saw a sick little video that um, Ryan I haven't Lucas seen. Put one. Is there one around? There's a few in the gorge now. Um, I've not paddled it yet. I've not seen one in the flesh yet. But Benny was pretty jazzed about it. He was digging it. What was it? Did you get any kind of takeaway from him? Um, it was a short conversation, but he was pretty positive. Did he? The, did take, he... the takeaway was that I need to go take it for a rip. Did he try the pleasure pod? I believe not. We'll get back to you on that, Chris. Um, man, here's a good one we've touched on in the past. Um, with the paddle feather top, this comes at us from Jacob Cruiser. Um, with the paddle feather topic shelved, I want to hear more about another gear topic Lewis brought up a bunch of episodes back. We had a short rant that resonates with me about how nearly every boat company has artificially limited themselves to nine feet when designing creek boats. Whitewater companies have fleets that go straight from nine to twelve plus feet. I don't understand why. Sickline doesn't even exist anymore. This is frustrating because it limits the possibilities of boat designs for everybody and actually limits the possibilities for tall, larger guys. Is the nine-foot market really so big that investing in an ever-diminishing percentage of that market share is more financially viable than filling this void in boat design? Lately, I've been using a 200-centimeter straight shaft paddle with a redacted feather. (laughs) Hey, I am 100% in agreement. Listen to me. If you're a race director... I'm talking to you. Get rid of the boat length. You don't need it. There's not one in the North Fork race. There's not one in the Green race. There, You don't need the boat. Get rid of that. Let the course decide what boats you're going to paddle out there. The Russell Fork race. People used to try to take wave hoppers and super long boats down there, and some people did pretty good on them, but the course lent itself to modern longboat technology. The North Fork race is lending itself to that area. We need to get rid of that nine-foot thing that's my take on that so well you got any thoughts i just i mean i just agree with your premise a little bit why is that i mean i think take a look the upper yacht race and you know you get 100 people show up i mean no one wants to be 90th right so you come up with classes and people kind of figure out where the strong points are like it's understood that the longer boats are going to be expert paddlers you know and then sort of the the more Weekend warriors can go in on shorter boats, um, and it opens up an opportunity for more people to to feel like they have a shot. That's all. And you know, if you only have a creek boat, you don't want to be racing against some guy in a, in a wave hopper, right? I mean, not everyone has six boats to race. My opinion on this is that I think we need, and this is Calhoun's job, is that Calhoun needs to put together, and I said this before, he's put together a website. That is an annually or somewhat updated list of boat categories. And that'll be the established boat categories. And race directors don't have to deal with it. There's just one established set. If people want to solicit the power, you know, Calhoun, whoever's running this website, to change it or update the boat list or whatever, you know, and, and that's the way to do it. And if you want to have a, a race with boat lengths, just ref- say, this is this website, this is the, this is the standard we're using. It's done. The problem isn't the problem isn't the classes. The problem is is that these 
these over these overworked race directors have to figure this out at the last minute every time they put on a race and then they have to start measuring you know taking consideration the 10 new boats that came out this year and how they fit into this the scheme of things that's that's more of the problem and if this was just done one time every year and everyone just paid attention to one list it would make it much more manageable that's my opinion yeah it is hard it is hard for racing but i just i feel like to jacob's point like racing is just not it's just not a big enough part of the sport for it to be dictating boat design the way it is you know Yeah, now what what, what, he, what Jacob's saying is totally different. Right. What, but yeah, I was I was addressing more graces getting rid of the boat classes in terms of what. It's Jacob's hard because like boats, if, I don't know. if there was like if there was a ten foot boat out there right now, everybody would want to race it at the Little White Race, and then a bunch of dude bros who have their sponsor and can't paddle the ten foot boat are going to be bent out of shape because somebody's going to mop the floor in them with them in this better, faster boat. And whoever has that boat is coming from the East Coast is going to be like, am I just going to bring this 10-foot boat when I want to go from the Little White to California? Like, like, what am I going to do with that? And that's why that's why it is the way it is. But I agree that it sucks that you can't get a 9-foot-4 kayak. Yeah, you can't you can't you can't cater to sponsored paddlers in this regard. If they win, if they lose a race because their sponsorship, their sponsored boat company is giving the right boat. Wah. <laughs> no, I mean I, I totally agree, but it's like those you know, are so... when, when that's. I mean I, I I totally agree, but then it's like it just it's like you're saying it just creates more burden for the race organizers. Like how do I deal with this in a way that's fair? Well, I like I said, I think you have you have one central. It's not place just dealt with. Yeah. Well, if you want to put a short boat class in, it should just be understood that, you know. If you, if you have a course like you're talking about where you can take a long boat or a short boat and some people don't have them, I think it should be understood that you're racing in the amateur class and then you can move up to the big leagues at some other time. I think it's just artificial to... Yeah, that 9-foot rule is weird. I mean, it was 8-foot-6 until we decided to let the remix in the green race. I'm going to change it to 10-foot now. Done. Do it. Um... Here, this comes at us from um, Rusty Shackleford, a.k.a. Taft Sibley. He says, I have a few friends who have experienced long-term back pain after decades of playboating. I guess the torque forces in the lower back could be conductive to bad stuff. I've recently upgraded my creek boat to a sporty new boat, a Nirvana, and feel that my paddling style is adjusted to the aggressive chines. While While the boat responds incredibly and inspires confidence, it seems that the paddling style is akin to playboating. Long story short, my back hurts after paddling the, the creeks, and I think it's related to the way I torque the boat around when catching Eddie's boofing and carving down the river. Thoughts? Mm. Mm. I don't know about that one. Uh, it doesn't really make getting, sense. You're just getting old, Rusty. Sorry. Yeah, Rusty needs to stick to trail running. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> stretch out his ham for, hamstrings there, buddy. You know, uh, Rusty was the uh, squirt boating world champion at one time. Um, hello, Hammer Factor. Good job for calling out boat manufacturers for a few seemingly subpar small boat designs. Thank you. I did notice, however, a critical error in your evaluation of why these boats don't fit smaller paddlers. Why weight matters, the big pro- biggest problem is fit. If you have short legs like me, the knee walls have... Too much volume to achieve a snug fit in the boat, creek boats especially. Boats are too big. Change my mind. This comes from Sarah. Well, she's 100% right. And that comes... She's 100, 110% right. Yeah. 
And it comes back to the problem that there's just not enough money to create all of this stuff that we want. I mean, in this sport, in this sport, that's what I'm talking about. You know? Yeah, it is a matter of economics. I mean, just imagine the level of bike fit technology. You know, just right. I don't know, but I, yeah. But I mean, it doesn't take any more money to make the small boat correct, and she's right. Well, it takes forty. It takes a forty thousand dollars tooling charge or whatever to make that boat. But yeah. she, I think she's saying when they make the small boat, they're making the small boat anyway, but they're just not doing it right. Oh, with the outfitting. Um, no, with the deck shape around your knees. Yeah, she could be right there. I mean, yeah, okay. Um, I, I mean, no, like I know Kara cannot. I mean, every single time Kara gets in a boat, there's eight inches of mini cell being cut around the knee braces so her legs can reach the top of the boat, right? And that's even on quote unquote women's creek boats or small person's creek boats. So, I mean, there's some legitimate concern there. Maybe yeah. these companies need to hire some women designers. That's exactly what I was going to say. I was thinking right? about that the other day. I was like, when is there going to be like, you know, Tammy Ritchie, she's designer well, out of Warner. When are we going to have... Let's not go crazy here, Lewis. Okay. <laughs> Listen, well, we're all aware of your position on these matters. Not... <laughs> I don't think women are really ready for that. <laughs> Moving on. This comes to us from Quint Down. I don't want to hear it. Um, Quint Down says, and this is a really good one. I have a, an opinion on. Um, well, it'll probably talk over me when it's time to give my opinion. But anyway. I switched crews from paddling a Dagger Mamba to nine-foot boats with lots of rocker on both ends, the Phantom and Nirvana. I also lived in Colorado, so I boat as much on rocks as I do on water. Since switching, I've noticed that when I come off a drop, sometimes my stern will bump the rock, creating the lip, what is called the stern tap, what I call the stern tap. My question is whether the stern tap is a side effect of bad boofing technique or a change in boat design. It seems to me that the heavy stern rocker and the longer boat would create a situation where a boat staying flat off the lip of a drop would completely disconnect when the lip passes the boater's hip, but bump the stern when the boat begins to fall at the end of the boof. Leaning into the boof stroke seems to help but doesn't solve it. Any thoughts? I would prefer that the problem is boat design and not my technique, but my technique is definitely suspect. Also, paddling with more water isn't always an option. Cheers, Quint. I have a really good one on this if you guys want to hear about it. And I have a whole Lay it on us. I have a whole theory on this. Okay. So a shorter boat Okay, so you have a boat design. The way I think of boat design is you have essentially the four corners of the boat. And the four corners are where you have two corners in the front, that's where the, 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 the boat starts to narrow and where the rocker starts, and then you have two corners in the back where the boat begins to narrow and where it starts to rocker. Does that make sense? And I know it's not exactly four quarters, but for the gist of it. So that's it's kind of where that rocker starts and where that taper starts to come in. On the shorter boats, like take the old Hefe or whatnot, it was super easy to boof. Like, because that rocker was up under your butt and you, as pretty much as soon as you were coming off, it was very easy to get to that bending part of the hull to get your nose up. You guys follow me so far? Mm -hmm. Now, when you got a longer boat, you push those corners back a little bit, and if you don't have enough speed... When you're getting that boof, 
just like she's talking about or just like he's talking about when it come when when you get to that point your your stern is going to tap you know just a little bit right there now that seems like a negative you're like oh my bow's falling but what happens is when you not to say your technique's bad but when you get a little bit more speed you get a little bit more lean and edging on your boof what that allows you to do is get out further from the hole that you're trying to boof over so like a shorter boat with more rocker you're going to kind of just slough into the deep part of the hole but if you have this boat with a little bit a little bit longer and it may seem like it's a little harder to get that stern to fully release when you get it right you're going to propel further away you're going to you're going to gain inches when you land off of your boof and get you through the hole better that's my theory you're saying a longer boat requires more of a pull to clear the lip and a little more speed and a little more edging you know you got to use that arc and i'm making hand motions here which i got chastised for doing one time in the show but i think that once you figure out the technique of a little bit longer boat you're going to be able to get further out and have better success boofing holes rather than just sloughing down into the meat of them and getting back entered i think the stern tap the shorter the boat and the more rocker you have the less you're going to stern tap but it's also like where you're boofing from like sometimes there's a little a little bit of a lip like upstream of the drop like sometimes you're boofing off a little bit of a wave before you actually get to the proper lip of the drop so that then when your stern actually gets to the proper lip your boat's already kind of falling even if it's flat and that's when you get those stern taps but i think a lot of the times it's just you got to kind of like learn the run and learn where those are i mean they're they're drops in the little way that you know, I, I just sort of like intuitively know where the stern taps are and kind of how to avoid them. But it's just very like place specific. And then also, I mean, I don't know, just thinking back, I'm like when I was a kid paddling a slalom boat all the time, it's like this isn't new, right? I mean, I broke the stern on every single slalom boat I ever had stern tapping on drops. Like, it's just kind of in the game. And I'd say it's it's kind of both. Some boats are more prone to that stern tap. But I think when you can develop that timing like you're talking about and maybe a little more speed and some different edging, you can have you can run burlier holes. You know, you can you can get through burlier features, in my opinion. Weld. I don't know. Wow, that's a first. Um <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm kinda of puzzled by this one. It's just so many variables at play there. I don't know. I don't know how to sort it all out. Yeah. That's something that could require some other things. But I think it's a combination of both. I think it's just getting used to a new boat. And I think that there's a lot of potential with that little longer stern, in my opinion, to paddle Burley or Whitewater. Um, Here we go. This comes out from Kobe Trinker. Hey, buds. I'll be concise. Firstly, best shuttle vehicles equals the Yamaha BWSR50. It costs nothing to insure, fits in a van or on the back of most cars, 100% streak legal, gets up any shuttle road, and can pop wheelies at the same time. You can also double on it, which comes in handy. Here's uh, here's Sticky Buds, my faithful steed. He's got a picture here. I bought it for 750 Canadian dollars three years ago, have been yeasting the shit out of it since day one, and it hasn't cost me a dime in maintenance. 
Secondly, this guy's onto something, by the way. Hold on for a second. This guy's onto something. It's the BWSR50 Yamaha. And that's the Canadian. I looked this up. That's the Canadian version. There's a US version. It's a different number, but I don't know what it is. It's, it's, it's like a little teeny moped with like off-road tires on it. It's rad it looking. Badass. <laughs> <laughs> it is badass. It is rad right? looking. It blows that stupid one wheel horseshit you guys have <laughs> out of the water, by the way. It's not even close. You can't fit it under the back seat of your... Okay. That well, doesn't make it. That's not a good quality. <laughs> wait till the next version of one wheel comes out. Increased mileage, right. bigger tire. Second, did you see the second? What did you see? Did you see Sticky Buds? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Talking about like a fifty, a fifty dirt bike. Did you look at the picture of his of his thing? Do you read the emails we send you, Lewis? Sometimes this <laughs> this thing is badass. I mean, it's like a. It's like a souped-up off-road scooter. Sounds sweet. Yeah, and you and it's you don't need a, you don't need a license for it. You don't need to get a motorcycle license for it, which is that's a consideration. I just got a motorcycle license. It's a pain in the it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. It's a huge rigmarole. You don't need. It's like to... I, it's like I got I, I was like I was getting into law school. That's basically what it was like. <laughs> it was like fifteen exams, weekends studying. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> you don't need gas. <laughs> you don't need gas or a license with a one wheel. Let me add. Um, another good point with from Kobe here. He says, secondly, how about a show about river photography, best cameras, etc. Maybe someone like Boomer or Parker could sh share some knowledge and tips about equipment and photos on the river. Thirdly, at this point, you should just change the name of the show to the Paddle Offset Bigots. <laughs> uh, see, he has to go there. <laughs> And this is after we talked about how great a shuttle vehicle was. <laughs> anyway, good points from Kobe. We will, we, we should do a photography special at some point. I think people. Would... Yeah, it's the iPhone, right? What's better than the iPhone? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, seriously, I took I took I took my regular camera out with this backcountry ski trip. You know, this thing we did last weekend. I wish I brought just bought my cell phone. Honestly, the picture quality would be better on my cell phone. <laughs> you know, this is a nice camera. We'll have to discuss that. I could really talk about that a little bit, but there's probably some better options out there than the camera that you're using. Thanks for calling me, Weld. I, was, uh, I wanted to call you to go ski this weekend, but I felt like I was, I'd already hassled you too much about not having any gear. Well, this wasn't my trip. <laughs> Although, all things considered, you've probably been more than welcome. <laughs> John, Pruitt, John Pruitt comes at us. John Pruitt here. Two quick things for you guys. Minivans are the ultimate paddle rig. Our go-to plan when flying to Colorado or Cali was to rent two vans, strap two-by-fours to the roof, and get after it. I felt bad for whatever family rented those vans once we were done. Keep the podcast coming. You know, Grace, you know what we should do? We should do a hot seat with you and me and LVM. I don't know. Right? I don't know if we want to go there. Because the listeners out there may not know this, but Grace and I were involved, IR and, and, and John Grace were involved with LVM together for many years. Just an interesting like a, chapter. We need like a couple's therapist to mediate this conversation. We need, Who knows where it'll go? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of LVM, it's a big anniversary coming up. Yes, it is. Right? Yes, it is. Mr. Daniel De La Verne, one of the co creators of LVM. His birthday would be tomorrow. Mm -mm -mm. Would he have come on the show? 
Oh, dude. He'd been on he, every he, show. <laughs> no, no. He would be deeply involved in every show. He would never come on. That's my prediction. Uh, I don't know. He'd come He'd on. He'd be extremely passionate, to say the least. Yeah, he would come on specifically for the rants. You know, it would be like, it would be like. No, he was very, when, when he came down to like public, when he, he had public Daniel, which is very well-spoken, yeah. very Southern gentry, right? He could, he could hang with adults and uh, be very polite. But when you got him in private, that's when you got the, the EJ has created the ultimate sacrilege email. <laughs> the ultimate sacrilege email. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That was, that's, it's pretty much the, Yeah. It would be our pre-show. He'd just come on for the pre-show and get us all fired up. He wouldn't. He wouldn't come. Do you think he would come on? He'd actually come on the podcast. Mm, I think so. I really do. Speak his speak his mind. I really do. Ah, you know, he may be a little more guarded than maybe we are from time to time, but I think he'd be all over it. I know. God, what a shame. Yeah, fully Mm. a shame. Nope, that's tomorrow. Big birthday tomorrow. Damn, damn. Um, John Pruitt does say something about LVM sucks. At least that's what a sticker I have said. I always love getting LVMs to see what crazy cool stuff other folks were up to. My question, what in the world did I do with all these DVDs and VHSs? Please keep the COD podcast coming. Save them to them. They could be you know, worth a lot of money someday. He brings another person into, this, into our, our hot seat too, Spencer Cook. We should get Spencer on the show. I'd love to. I think that'd be a good guest. Spencer Cook? Yeah. He's 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 seen it all, man. I'll reach out to him. We'll see what he says. I, I would be very interested to see how that goes. Let's see. What do we got here? Bethany over oh, this is cool. Bethany over overfilled. Uh she is the AW membership director. I hung out with Bethany up at the uh, National Paddling Film Fest. She says, Hey guys, just want to send a quick note. Thanks for all your on air love for American Whitewater. We recently had a member join and he mentioned the following in quotes Join because of the Hammer Factor podcast. They are a great advertiser for you guys. Thanks for all your work. Thank you, Bethany. Come on, that yeah. makes you feel good. For sure. Yeah. You know, another story to break off here before we get into rants and raves, because we're at two hours and 27 minutes of this podcast. Come on, this has to be a two-parter, right? (laughs) Yeah, we got to break this into two parts. Nobody can listen to this show for this long. But, uh, (laughs) and this one's kind of more props to Lewis, because this is kind of Lewis's victory lap show anyway. But I was up at MPFF, and I was talking to a guy, I don't want to name any names, but it was one in the morning, we had drank a bunch of moonshine and we were down in the hotel lobby and <laughs> this guy opens up. <laughs> were you dropping the R word? <laughs> no, hey, I've shed. I, I've, please, I've, I've shed. God, please edit that out. No, I absolutely <laughs> am leaving that in there. You know, I've <laughs> shed, I've shed that skin, you know, as I, as I continually involve, evolve, I learn and I've shed that, that, that part All of my right. life. But fair enough question to ask because, but anyway, talking to this guy, he is from, for lack of a better term, the hills of Kentucky. What you would think of, you know, the give me my guns and God crowd, if that makes any sense. 
But anyway, he told me in about a 30-minute conversation about how Lewis Geltman fully changed his opinion, and he was so activated when Rand Paul decided to try and sell off this 150,000 acres of Daniel Boone National Forest. I don't know if you guys knew anything about this. That's a total different topic. But anyway, I was so inspired. I mean, he was reciting quotes and things that you have said, Lewis, and you've turned this guy into, I mean, a total... Oregon liberal. A total... (laughs) No, just a soldier for public lands, you know? So it was just super refreshing. Well, now that I've had that encouragement, expect nothing but political opinions from me from here on out. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's awesome, man. And yeah, that's, that's sweet. And just like to be serious about it, it's, you know, like we were talking about earlier, it's like we want this to be a nonpartisan issue. And if there are other things about the sort of conservative worldview that speak to you and those are the lawmakers you identify with, like you have more of an ability to communicate to those people than I am ever going to. So if you're able to reach out to those conservative members of Congress and say, hey, like I, I see the world the same way you do. I'm, I voted for you. I'm on board with these other things that you're doing. But like you're killing me on the public land stuff, like get with the program, keep wild rivers flowing free, keep, you know, public lands public. Your voice in that is going to resonate a lot more than mine ever will. So uh, keep at it. Yeah. Now it was, uh, it was super cool. I was sort of blown away by the quotes and it was one of those, one of those things where Someone's like, you remember in episode 24 when Lewis was talking about such and such? And I'm like, shit, dude, I don't. I remember like episode nine. <laughs> That's like the only one I remember. But, Man. I'm honored. All right. Well, I had something else I was going to say about that, but I forgot. So let's get right into everyone's favorite segment of the show. This is our rants and raves segment. This is where your host going a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave about something they're fired up about, either in a positive or not so positive way. Who would like to lead us off? I'll jump right in. So, <laughs> Lewis, you ready? Do you have one? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I'll come up with something. Jeez. So I'm going to rant. I'm just going to go, being that we're right here in politics, I'm just going to rant about politics right now. All right? Because I can't have a conversation with anyone about anything of any substance with politics. And I think I talked to you a little bit about this on the phone the other day, Well, And it's just, I'm going to throw it back to this whole you know, Lewis's victory lap is that you guys did an amazing job that public lands has nothing to do with partisan politics or anything like that. And, and that's, and being that everyone was on board with that is how progress got made. And there's so many other things that I think progress could get made if everybody would just quit digging their feet in. If someone makes one little comment that may not align to whatever was on CNN or Fox news. So that's my rant. Just, little more little more just listening a little more less name calling and big success successes like this public lands package can happen so that's my rant sure. all right i'm gonna rant about this is this is a an apolitical rant i am i'm over the like make blank blank again 
construction. Everybody wants to like 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 play off of make America great again and be like like make winter cold again or make public lands public again or like like whatever it is. Just stop. It's played out. It's That's not, exactly what I'm saying. I don't, I don't I don't care if you're doing this as a Democrat or doing this as a Republican. It's just a played out construction. Just stop doing that. It's not witty. I'm over it. Here, here. And it's built on the faulty assumption that something was, in fact, great at one point. In many cases, it wasn't even that great to begin with. And I, I don't even want to, like, <laughs> I don't even want to take it that deep. It's just played out. <laughs> Shut All us right. down, Mr. Weld. I'm going to rave. I'm going to rave about an individual named Johnny Regan, oh, who yes. uh, we went skiing with this weekend, right? And here's a guy, I, Paddle, you know John Regan, because John Regan is... He's like the hub of a very big wheel, right? And he has friends and connections in pretty much every outdoor hotspot in the country. And he shows up these places. He knows everybody. He remembers stories about them. He's encouraging them to go do things. He's excited to go out. We went out skiing with him for a full, like, eight hours. He was Oh, my so God, this psyched. is the best now. This is the greatest now. <laughs> so psyched the entire time and so positive and so excited to be out there. And guys got to be, I don't know, well into his 50s or 60 he's been killing it for 50 years the guy's been slaying it it's just awesome i don't know it was real as a really positive experience you know and i'm a pretty bitter jaded guy sometimes and i need i need that <laughs> influence in my life just like having the like like inner fire to just continue to be stoked even as you're getting older you know like right it's awesome yeah. It's like it's so hard sometimes when you're just like not as good at something as you you used to be. Your body hurts, and it's like it's so easy to like just like start feeling kind of negative about stuff or comparing yourself all. to other people. And it's like Regan's the never there, never you there, yeah. never there. Yeah, no, I, it was great. I had one of the best days in a long time paddling with randomly just out of the blue saw John Regan in the parking lot right by the Nolichucky. He was driving through to Piranha. And just we had a day on the river, and it was just like you said. This rap is so good. Yeah. I've never had such a good level out here <laughs> in my life. You know, what? Yeah. <laughs> just like by the time I got off the river, I was like doing push-ups and jumping jacks. I was so excited. <laughs> yeah, one, one of my whitewater heroes for sure. Uh, we should do a whole. We should. Have we gotta get us. Regan on. Dude, we gotta have Regan and Jess and like like Roger and just like maybe not all at once but like just like some stories about about the... tough to get all in the same room together I mean dude I feel like there's so much about Friendsville that's like I feel like it's there's so much to learn about sort of like the evolution of a whitewater town like that we're going through here in the gorge right now and just like you know like a such a cool era of the sport when guys were, were you know designing and building their own gear and like I have this picture here on my bulletin board that just like I love that's Jesse Whittemore paddling a boat that he built using a backland paddle with a helmet that he made and a mountain surf skirt that he designed and probably made and just, you know, doing the a rock splat that is a move that he invented. And it's like, right. to me, that just like is a, the epitome of so much that's awesome about kayaking. And like that, that that's a story that needs to be told. Yeah. Yeah. Whittemore's incredible. He's a guy that would see something in the sport and build an entire set of equipment to do something that no one else even thought of when they saw the river and that, did it. That's so fascinating. It's so fascinating to me 
the way that that mind works, even down to like the best athletes or best race car drivers, just like all those little ticks that go on that separate them like that. I'm always fascinated by that. Those guys, yeah, and like like Whittemore and Regan. I mean, they very very different paddling styles, or just but like I feel like they're both super influential for me. Just you know, like there was always a lot of kind of interplay between the the slalom scene in DC and the guys who were up in Western Maryland running rivers all the time. And I feel like they just sort of saw the stuff that was coming from the slalom world and like took the things that made sense and like disregarded the rest and like kind of incorporated all of that into their paddling style. And, I like, think that's for what sure. I'm, that's yeah. like always what I'm trying to do out here is like, like just seeing those guys, they just always wanted to paddle fast. They always wanted to be creative and take the hardest lines and just like, like look at the river in a creative sort of hard charging way. And like, that was always like my goal was to like paddle on like the rivers out here, like the way those guys paddle on the rivers back home, you know? Right. No, for them, there was no, and most good paddlers, I think there was no distinction between style was a, an essential part of the, of the paddling. There was no just running or charging a rapid and just completing it unless you had style. Totally. That wasn't, you didn't do it if there wasn't style involved. And they'd recognize Solomon for what it was. Anyway. Anyway. That was a nice long tangent off of John's rib there. That's a good right. show. I mean, somehow we, I kept it pretty stimulating for two hours and 40 minutes. <sighs> Well, big thanks to uh, Rocky Contos for coming on the show. Thank you, man. Big thanks to Benny Drew and Hunter Cooper, gangsters, for coming on the show. Of course, thank you to all of the listeners out there, everyone who submitted mail, and uh, we'll try to get one of these together in the near future. Sure. <laughs> Shrig. That's a new word. Shrig. 